Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady, and if you would like to listen to our show, you can find it at mfgtalkradio.com. We're also on Blog Talk Radio, and we're on iTunes. So anytime you want to listen to either the live show or any of our podcasts, tune into any of those venues, and you can find Manufacturing Talk Radio. Today we're going to be speaking with Brad Holcomb from the Institute of Supply Management, but before we get to Brad, I want to just chat with my co-host here, Lou Weiss. Lou, how are things in New Jersey today? Uh, wonderful, just wonderful. It's, uh, <laughs> we're having a good old time uh, listening to all the new news that's out there, politics, manufacturing, and I don't want to steal uh, Brad's thunder about the new ISM report, but I'll just say, it's up, everybody. It's up. Yes, it's very that's, exciting. That Yeah, I'm just uh, jumping out of my uh, my shorts here. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to talk about last week's show for for a moment or so, uh, our postscript, and we had Margot Dorfman from the U.S. Women's Chamber of Commerce and Chris Young from the American Small Business Women's Chamber of Commerce, where they're discussing uh, women today in business and ownership, particularly in manufacturing, and all of the problems and disparities and the good things that are happening uh, as a result of these huge organizations. Uh, between the two of them, I believe they have something like 600,000 members of these organizations. So the, the, the women crowd is beginning to get a real handle on uh, uh, what's going on. And maybe that has something to do with the fact that there's more of them than us guys. So um, I, I think that if you want to tune into that, it's an interesting show, very bright gals. And uh that's at mfgtalkradio.com. Uh, the news of the day. Uh, this week uh, is Manufacturing Day week. Actually, Friday is Manufacturing Day, but there, there are those who are um, um, do, having their events uh, all week. Some states are actually doing it all month. Uh, Manufacturing Day was created by the uh, by the president, uh, and they had three or four organizations. One is FMA, ISM, who created this uh, event to get people interested in manufacturing, get kids to go into um, manufacturing plants to see what manufacturing is. Uh, all about today, different than what it was in your father's or grandfather's manufacturing uh, plant. Um, and they are, it's in every state. Uh, four years ago, it was not. Today, last year, it was in all 50 states. This year, it's in all 50 states. The event on Friday is going to include, at this point, 2,400 events. And if I'm not mistaken, Ohio is actually leading the leading the, uh, the the march in that they have committed over 4,000 students who are going to be going to manufacturing events around the state of Ohio, which is really terrific. 
and they're going to have students and teachers and politicians and uh, career change people. Uh, it's really quite an event. If you all are not familiar with Manufacturing Day, go to www.manufacturingday.com and take a look and see what it's all about. It's really going to be quite an event. We Manufacturing Talk Radio actually has about five events that we're involved with this week, and uh, we will be posting our schedule as we get further into the week. So tune back with us during the week and see what we're up to in our effort to be an endorser of Manufacturing uh, Day.com. Well, we're going to be speaking with Brad Holcomb. Brad is the committee chair for the ISM's Manufacturing Report on Business, and it's a very favorable report. I think that when we went through it last month with Brad in detail, uh, we may have been the only place that you heard that last month may have just been an anomaly. So I'll be interested to hear Brad's comments today. Brad, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you very much. It's, it's great to spend quality time with your audience on uh, manufacturing each month. Well, why don't we just jump right into the report, and I'll let you share with our audience what that uh, PMI number is, and then we can jump into the chart, and you can go through the various categories. Uh, take your time, because there's a lot of good information in here, folks. Yeah, perfect. Well, the, the PMI came in up 2.1 percentage points to 51.5, and as was mentioned uh, earlier in the show in the opening comments, uh, manufacturing sort of took a breather last month. It was in contraction territory, but I think it was an anomaly. This sort of you know, bears that out. We're back on track in, in growth territory with the economy growing for 88 consecutive months and manufacturing growing along with it. Uh, sort of leading the charge, if you will, in terms of the supporting indexes, New orders was up a full six percentage points to 55.1, with 10 of our industries uh, reporting growth in new orders, and that uh, index is at 55.1. So we really like to see that, uh, and everything tends to, to follow suit with new orders, and that uh, certainly includes production to keep up uh, to satisfy those orders, which came in at 3.2 percentage points higher than last month to 52.8 percentage points. So new orders in production, both growing, uh, really like to see this. And the, the comments also uh, give us some, some indication of uh, the, the likely potential for this to continue uh, into and through the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, the comments definitely lean towards the positive this time. So it's a good report overall, and uh, very pleased to see that. Brad, every month you put together a great chart that uh, kind of fills a, a section of this report, which is a comparison. Would you go over that with our listeners, please? Because that's, that's a nice snapshot. I will, and let's uh, also remind everyone that uh, this report and this table can be found on the Institute for Supply Management org uh, website. Uh, and uh, in two days, we'll get the corresponding non-manufacturing report. And when you put them all together, you're covering the, the whole GDP picture 
between manufacturing and non-manufacturing. So this manufacturing at a glance table certainly is a, a nice place to to rest your eyes uh, and thoughts for a few minutes. It contains all the numbers, uh, the directions of things, uh, the the nature of the trend, uh, and how it all sort of interconnects. And it starts with, as we've mentioned, the PMI at 51.5, up 2.1 percentage points, uh, growing from contracting last month. New orders, we've also mentioned at 55.1, production at 52.8. Those are the, the real clear positives. Employment, which is one of the five supporting indexes, is a, a touch below 50, which we expect, 49.7. Uh, it essentially says that employment is, is holding steady. Uh, which we predicted since May in our in our summer annual forecast update that we have high levels of employment, uh, strong levels of employment uh, throughout manufacturing, and we expect that to to stay at those levels through the rest of the year. This number of 49.7 uh, certainly reflects that, even though it uh, it does say contracting from a technical standpoint. Uh, is pretty well level uh, from last month. Uh, supplier deliveries at 50.3 indicates uh, for the fifth consecutive month that deliveries of raw materials and subassemblies to our to our manufacturers from suppliers is is a bit slow, and that's a good thing in a growth environment. It says that the supply chain. Uh, all the way up and down is a bit tight. People are working hard to keep up. Um, it's good to be busy, and this is a reflection of, of that scenario. Uh, inventories of raw materials is the last of the five uh, specific metrics that feed into the PMI equally weighted. It's at 49.5, just a half a percentage point up from last month. Still slightly contracting, but we've seen that for 15 consecutive months now, and it's, it's a continuation of our lean, conservative inventory uh, practice and policy, uh, and uh, we, we, we see that we have plenty of inventory to fulfill uh, new orders and, and the backlog as well. Brad, before we go uh, into those second uh, five, that second set of five that uh, are not part of the PMI, you have an interesting uh, uh, comparison you do between new orders and inventories, uh, a differential there that you've yes. shared with our listeners in the past. And then I wonder if you'd share some of the comments from your respondents. Yeah, the, the inventory um, number that you're mentioning is actually uh, to simply take the the new orders at 55.1 in this case and subtract the inventories number 49.5 and you get 5.6. And the mathematicians would uh, would probably chastise me for that type of math, but it's a good indicator <laughs> of whether or not, you know, you have enough inventory to feed new orders. And I like to see a differential of five or more, and this month it's 5.6. So I like the uh, comparison. Uh, I like that uh, that figure, 
uh, it's in a good place. So are now, the respondents to, kind of echoing uh, what we see in the report? Well, they're not only echoing, but they're they're indicating uh, a flavor of uh, more positives to come. See, when when we look at the table of numbers, we're looking exactly at what's happening this month versus last month. Mm -hmm. You know, are things the, the same, uh, better, or 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 worse than last month in in each index? But when we look at the comments, uh, our panelists about 350 in number, they've got order books in front of them uh, for, for the next several weeks, even several months, so that they can really gauge uh, the tenor and the flavor of, uh, of what's happening as we go forward. And the comments tend to reflect that, so they're a little bit more forward-looking. And one in your wheelhouse is fabricated metal products comment, and here it is, sales on the increase and positive outlook for the remainder of 2016. Um, one from machinery, general business conditions are slowly improving with increased sales and sales leads. Uh, furniture and related products, which, uh, which tends to, to move with uh, construction and new housing, furniture sales are increasing. Um, and in the petroleum and coal products, uh, there's there's one that's maybe got a little different flavor. Oil prices have increased with respect to the first quarter, but they remain low uh, at low levels affecting our revenue and purchasing power. So let's not forget we've got a new environment with respect to, to oil prices as reflected here, and that tends to um, – you know, put a damper on, on certain things, but it's also a positive for other areas in terms of the cost of raw materials. So overall, the comments are positive. They're forward-looking. To me, it's suggestive of, uh, of uh, continued growth through the fourth quarter with our panelists uh, eyeing the finish line, if you will. Uh, Chris, uh, two of the numbers that I... Uh I'm sorry, uh, Brad. Uh, two of the numbers that I like watching is the, the backlog of orders and new export orders. Uh, right. And backlog, I mean, that's that's huge, a 4% uh, jump this month, and the new export orders uh, over the 50, you know, at 52.0. Those those are terrific, and and I can tell you uh, specifically. That it's we reflect these same numbers in our manufacturing uh, organization. So this, this to me, yeah. the backlog and export is uh, extremely important. Well, it, it's just so nice to have a backlog of orders uh, to work off of. It's sort of like a, a spring or an elevator, if you will, in manufacturing terminology, sure. to to allow sure. you to 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 level production according to the labor on hand. And, and if, for example, you have a, a low new orders month, then you've got the backlog to, to work off of. But at 49.5, it's almost at 50. You've got uh, a great amount in general of, uh, of, of old orders, if you will, or backlog of orders to work off of. So I like that as well. And up four percentage sure. points is, is a nice gain. Uh, the, the other one, the, the other one that you mentioned, new export orders at 52.0. Uh, 
uh, nicely in growth territory for the seventh consecutive month. That, I think, is a reflection of the attenuation of the price of the dollar from an overseas perspective. Uh, they continue to, to buy our, our finished products uh, from overseas, and this is reflective of that. Uh, so we're very pleased. Uh, the the other one, which uh, you know pertains to you know international commerce, is the imports of raw materials. That's at 49.0, up two percentage points. Um, still contracting, but almost uh, almost reaching to that you know 50 level. Uh, imports being being slightly below. Uh, 50 doesn't surprise me in view of our lean inventory policy because that is essentially inventory, raw materials, subassemblies to feed manufacturing. But if we continue to see uh, these kinds of numbers in new orders, then the imports uh, will come along uh, for the ride, if you will. Brad, you come from a uh, – uh supply side of the business uh, and I see consumer I'm sorry customer inventories here running about 3%. I'm wondering if this is the build up to the holiday season or is it that they're just carrying too much inventory? I think it's a, a, to some degree a reflection a reflection of what happened last month where um you know, we, we didn't see that much, you know, enough manufacturing and perhaps customers weren't going to the store to, to buy finished goods. And, and so customers ended up with, uh, you know, slightly too much inventory. But that will work its, its way out as we, you know, continue this trend and as we approach the holiday season, which is right upon us. And, and I, I saw a report on consumer confidence, which uh, appears to be strong. So this will take care of itself, and uh, I would suspect that it will fall from here uh, if everything else remains the same. Okay. Okay. Uh, anything in this report in particular, Brad, that uh, other than it all being very good news, that you'd like to share with our listeners in any one of these areas or two of these areas that uh, may be of particular interest to them? Well, let me uh, also comment on, on prices of raw materials holding steady at 53 from last month. Prices have been increasing, but at a very modest rate, which I think is exactly what we want for our economy. Uh, we, we had a period of something like 18 months of prices decreasing, and when you have that extended of a period, you start to think about deflationary prices, and that's that's not a good. That's not a good thing. That's not a good term, in terms of a growing economy. So, increasing, but increasing at modest levels for the last seven consecutive months is is exactly where we need it. Need things they, things to be. Uh, so overall, the numbers seem to to really fit together nicely. No real surprises. Um, it just uh, it just all makes sense, and I'm I'm pleased to report uh, that we are back in in growth territory. Now, if we look at, uh, for example, some of the detailed lists, and I would invite your 
your listeners to to look at the list of of commodities up in price, down in price, commodities in short supply that gives you give you hints about uh, obviously what's going on in pricing, but it will give you some information that could lead you to 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 start a negotiation process. In fact, one of our one of our comments. Let me see if I can find it quickly here. Um, negotiating the second comment: negotiating prices down on all metals. That comes from the computer and electronic products industry, which happens to be the largest industry that we we follow, uh, representing about 15% of uh, manufacturing GDP. So they're pointing out uh, metals and probably steel in particular, maybe aluminum. But steel is on both the lists, up in price and down in price. That's why we put an asterisk on it. And to me, that always reflects an inflection point where uh, things, you know, have been, you know, increasing, but now they're starting to decrease again or vice versa. Uh, and, and so it, it's good to look at these lists to get these clues about, you know, when you should uh, start to negotiate new contracts, for example. Okay. But I was also going to look at the list of, of industries that are uh, growing in terms of new orders for the month of September. And I see on top of the list wood products, which uh, generally relates to, to construction, certainly housing, uh, food, beverage, and tobacco uh, as we move towards uh, – you know, the, the holiday season, uh, but that seems to be going strong and is actually the third largest industry that we follow, miscellaneous manufacturing. Um, computer electronic products is the largest. I think I've mentioned that. That's on the growth list of, of for new orders and not surprising when, you know, all the new, you know, iPhones and competitive products are, are being uh, re released and, and launched. Uh, you know, like wood products, furniture and related products is on the list. And fabricated metal products, uh, one of your favorites, is on the list of growing in new orders. So some really, really uh, good industries, strong industries on that list. Uh, and uh, it's always good to find your particular industry on all of these detailed lists so that you can trend and track those industries and then your own company to find out where you are with respect to your grouping. Well, Brad, we certainly appreciate uh, what this month is a very nice report, very positive report. We were all kind of biting our lip last month, wondering what this month was going to be. So uh, we're very pleased with uh, how this came out this month. And we are very pleased to have you on the show every month to share this with our listeners and in more detail than just a quick soundbite. Yeah, it's always my pleasure and like to – really try to, to highlight things that are useful to our listening audience and, uh, you know, buyers and planners and, and managers within our manufacturing companies. So thank you very Brad, much. Brad, just keep up the good work, keep the numbers moving up, and then we, we may have you back next month. 
<laughs> okay, I'll do my best. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Thank Brad, you. we've been talking with Brad Holcomb, who's the committee chair of the Institute of Supply Management's Manufacturing Report on Business, also on uh, their website, which is instituteforsupplymanagement.org, is the non-manufacturing report on business done by Brad's cohort, Tony Nieves. We've had Tony on the show a couple of times, and we'll probably have him on the show again in the near future. He does a great presentation of what that report means. And as Brad mentioned, when you dovetail those two together, you get end up getting a, a pretty clear picture. In the second half of our show, we're going to have Dr. Chris Keel, who is a economist with the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association. He is also with the National Association of Credit Managers. So he'll be talking to us about what's happening with the CMI report so you can get a feel for what's happening with the credit managers report. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment, components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials? 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. In this segment, we're talking with Chris Keel. He is a economist with the National Credit Managers Association, actually in the National Association of Credit Managers. He's also an economist with the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International, and he's with Armada Corporate Intelligence. Chris, welcome back to the show today. Well, thank you. Well, we're looking at the credit manager's report, and we're feeling like we all should be dancing on our desktops. Is that about right? Well, it would not be a bad idea. Um, <laughs> we were pretty shocked. We were, you know, it's hard to say which was shocking us more, the downturn that we saw the month before or the upturn that we saw this time because we had been going along pretty well through the beginning of the year, and we're pretty confident that the whole year was going to be at least reasonably positive. And then we had some reversals that were a little hard to explain, um, and then suddenly we bounced back. So at this point, we're hoping that this last month was not the anomaly, that it was the month before that was the anomaly, <laughs> and and that this is now going to be the trend that we can look for for the rest of the year. It's all happening in what we refer to as the favorable categories. These are the ones that make credit managers happy. It's things like increased sales, more applications for credit, 
rates, better dollar collections, more credit extended, we didn't see a lot of change in the negatives. And these are the things like disputes and bankruptcies and accounts after collection. Those have stayed pretty consistent month after month, but we saw a lot of gain in the favorables. I mean, sales were up and applications were up, and, and all of that points to a pretty good year. Well, speaking of a pretty good year, I'm sorry, Lou, go ahead. No, excuse me. I was just going to say that I've learned from Chris over the years that we're doing this is that he always adds at the end of his comments the infamous word, unless. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, it, it is something of the economist mantra because, you know, just like with, with meteorologists, if you – if you don't throw the qualifier in there, you know, sure enough, it rains on somebody's parade, and it's like, you said it was going to be sunny. I said <laughs> there was a 90% chance it would be sunny. You're in the 10%, buddy. Um, so. Well, I think the economists at this point are more accurate than the weather people. They're running about 40, 60 against being accurate. So. <laughs> yeah, well, don't look into our numbers too closely either, so. <laughs> Speaking of the numbers, how does the economy look for the rest of the year? Well, if we take these numbers as an indicator, all year long we have been noting the same thing, and I certainly see it within the context of manufacturers, that manufacturers are just being cautious. They have been worried by one event after another that has been somewhat surprising. They didn't expect Brexit. And so it's taken them a while to figure out what that means. They didn't expect for the campaign this year to be so weird. And they don't know what to expect. Weird? Uh, Weird. I think that's the polite (laughs) word. And all of this has made them uneasy and cautious, and, and they're just not ready to act. What I've been hearing from particularly the the big equipment suppliers, is that their potential customers are basically saying, I still want this machine. I just don't want it now. Uh, Keep me on the list. I want to be considered. So what we're starting to see with these credit numbers is that companies are beginning to pull the trigger, and they're saying, well, I now feel a little better about what I think the rest of the year is going to be like, what next year is going to be like. Um, and it's not – business is funny. It's not that they really want things to fall their way because they know it often does not. They just want to know what to expect so that they can plan for it. And mm-hmm. if they've got a few months of semi-stability, bad or good, they can they can react to it. What they don't like is uncertainty, and, and that's all they've had to deal with almost all year. I think that uh, this uh, – election cycle has become such an emotional uh, event that um, it's more emotional than reality. And I I think, yeah. And I, and I think from the people that we're hearing on all metals and forge group side and talking to clients and several that I've actually gone out recently to visit is that everybody's just waiting to see how it plays out and who's going to be, uh, the, uh, uh, the the one who's coming up uh, for the next four years, whether it's the petulant child or the socialist. So yeah, we don't and know. I, and, it, and it really is is vexing because not only 
do we not really have a feel for who the president is going to be? We don't really have a feel for what's going to happen in Congress either. Um, we suspect, and I think that this may be where a lot of, of companies are coming down. They're suspecting that this is going to be one of the most powerless political periods in years. I mean, you're going to have four years of an unpopular president from day one. I mean, there's going to be no honeymoon for either one of them. You're going to have a split Congress. Um, it's very likely the House will remain in GOP hands. The Senate may be narrowly Democratic, but neither party is going to have the supermajority. They need to get anything done. And the business community is looking at this and saying, well, if I was expecting anything from government in the next four years, I'm not going to get it. It's just going to be one bitter argument after another. And it's it's kind of leaving business with the feeling that, okay, it's really kind of being left to my own devices. I'm going to have to spend a lot more time figuring out what my state is thinking and, and not expect much. I mean, both sides talking about we need to do infrastructure and not one comment as to where the money is going to come from. And it's like, well, you know, that's great. You know, I really need a swimming pool in my backyard, but I don't know how I would pay for it, <laughs> you know, so. <clears throat> and we don't own the printing press either, which is. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I mean, it's it's that's part of the, the challenge right now is that it sounds good and, you know, let's infrastructure our way back to economic growth, but we have no money. And any sort of plan like this would mean more debt. And we're already at 107% of our GDP. So where is this magic money going to come from? And at this point, because the campaign is so driven by personality and, and who dislikes who the most, no one's talking about anything substantive. You know, no one is talking about anything other than just this ephemeral, you know, I'm going to make the world different. You know, well, okay, how? And, and it just... By this time in most elections, campaigns are having their feet held to the fire, saying, I want specifics. And this year, it still sounds like primaries. I mean, it's still bloviating, and, and you know, it's just neither side is, is any need to be serious. I mean, it's just, it's, it's very odd. About an hour ago, Chris, uh, the Attorney General of uh, New York State uh, made a uh, and gave an order to cease and de desist uh, Trump Foundation from soliciting any new donations to the Trump Foundation. I haven't seen yet what his comments to that is all about because he's probably losers. going to say the attorney losers. Yeah, losers, losers, losers. Rigged, yeah. rigged, rigged. It's all rigged. And the attorney general is a crook, you know. Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, it, it's just terrible, terrible. Well, and it's, and it's kind of, you know, the voter is sitting there thinking, hmm, which crooked foundation do I want to be affiliated with? Um, <laughs> it's like, great, um, such a choice. I mean, this is kind of, you know, wow, I had the choice between Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun. Um, so. <laughs> Chris, uh, you know, around the world we're hearing the same thing. We've got customers in Canada and people in Canada we talk to about what their situation is up there, and the Canadian government uh, is basically in the same place that ours is. They have no money to spend. Uh, they want to do lots of great things. 
Uh, Are there any bright spots in the world? Well, it's all kind of relative. I mean, if you talk about Canada, for example, the Canadians are going to embark on a big infrastructure campaign. They are spending a lot of money. And as countries go, Canada is in better shape than most. I mean, they don't have a ideal debt situation, but where we're at 107% of GDP, they're at something like 70% of GDP. So they're not far off ideal, still a little higher than they should. And they see about, oh, 50% of their GDP is government-related. So they're in a position they can actually do this. The challenge for Canada is you can do a lot of things with government money. You cannot replace $110 a barrel oil. And, and Canada is very dependent on what happens with that commodity. So if, if you manage to see oil prices come back up, Canada will be saved. If oil prices don't come back up, it doesn't really matter how much the government spends. It won't be enough. So I think the bright spots are sector by sector. I mean, you're going to see some sectors continuing to grow. Automotive still has a head of steam. Aerospace isn't doing relatively well. Farm manufacturing, no. Um, Oil and gas sector, no. So it, it's I end up giving the same answer anytime anybody asks me, how's the economy? It's like, well, where are you? What business are you in? Um, it's, it's totally different depending on what part of the country, what your main sector is. and So no easy answers. Uh, you know, when the U.S. hit uh, 85% of GDP in terms of its debt, uh, our credit was downgraded, and, and we thought the next downgrade would occur at 100% at least. That was the talk of the town. We're now at 107 and I'm wondering why the credit reporting agencies haven't turned us into chunk status at this point. Well, it's always relative. I mean, what people kind of forget about ratings agencies is that there's not a lot scientific behind a rating it becomes a comparison. You know, you're sort of being asked, how is this country's credit rating compared to another country's credit rating? Well, when everybody's in debt up to their ears, then there's no kind of objective standard saying, wow, they're all off. It's like compared to most, um, we're kind of in the middle. You know, we're not as indebted as the Europeans. You know, Japan still has one that's 233% of GDP. So the key to having the ratings agencies leave you alone is to be as bad as everybody else. Um, And it's the ratings agencies, for all intents and purposes, grade on a curve. And so, you know, if everybody in the class is a D student, hey, if you're getting a C minus, you look pretty good. Well, you know, being that Japan is at 233 and we're at 107, I figure we got a long way to go. We do. Still I mean, survive. you know, yeah. exactly. And then at some point along the way, we can, you know, we can always sell assets. It's just, you know, just admit the fact that, you know, Texas is an independent country and sell it. So. <laughs> well, we can always be like Zimbabwe and have a $1 trillion note that's virtually worthless, too. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So manufacturing in Europe, is that going uh, sideways or north anytime soon? It's probably not heading north. Um, The challenge that Europe has is actually more complex even than ours because it's 
they're still struggling with what it means now to be European. And the Brexit struck a whole lot of chords. I mean, this is now every country reevaluating their membership and trying to decide if there's a reason to be in the EU, a reason to be in the Eurozone. The East European countries are not happy. They're they're pushing and all sort of triggered by the same thing. It's the refugee immigration movement of labor issue that has most countries up in arms. But then it swiftly also becomes whether or not the organization helps business or hurts it. It just depends on your perspective. The country that continues to hold Europe together is Germany, but Germany isn't growing the way it used to. And Germany is very dependent on exports. It accounts for almost 50% of its GDP. So I don't think we're going to be looking for any help from Europe anytime soon. Maybe we start to see some activity in Asia, but not as we have in the past. I mean, we all kind of derided China for being such a rapidly growing place, and it was scaring us to death. And now we're like, wow, I miss that Chinese growth. Um, that was that was really helpful. <laughs> yeah, it very much was. So, in terms of um, you know, what, is, is there a credit managers index report something similar in uh, Europe and in other countries around the world? We have not yet been able to develop one specifically for Europe. We don't quite have the the responses that we would be able to be statistically accurate. But we have an international division with the NACM called Finance, Credit, International Business. And we do a series of of less formal polls trying to get a sense of of the credit situation in Europe. It's relatively strong where you would expect it to be. I mean, the Germans, the Sweden, the northern countries, it is as you would expect it to be in the southern countries. It's in terrible shape. I mean, credit in Greece and Italy and Spain and Portugal is has not been performing at all well. Um, We have the latest kind of chaos with Deutsche Bank, which nobody really expected either. Germany in general is a little more immune to sort of these bank crises because they have a lot of banks. Most of Europe, though, is highly dependent, each country, on three or four big banks. And if they get in trouble, then the whole country gets in trouble. When we had our banking crisis, it was serious, but, you know, we're talking 15 banks out of 7,000. So people found opportunities. Most of the countries don't have that. I mean, Spain has six. That's it. So Wow. They didn't realize that the banking was so tight over there in terms of number I mean, of <clears throat> they're They're big, and they're impressive, and they can do things. And, I mean, when you come right down to it, the big banks in the U.S. have a similar percentage of money and, and loans as the banks in Europe, but there's still an alternative, and particularly for a small to mid-sized manufacturer, these companies generally do business with the smaller regional banks, and what you don't have in Europe are those small regional banks that can help drive a small manufacturer. One of the subjects we're going to get into uh, in an upcoming show is the Trans-Pacific <laughs> Partnership. But Chris, it- Upside, downside, is this a good idea or a bad idea? Some people are terribly for and some people are terribly against. Yeah, I mean, you can make arguments both ways, and and it really comes down to how are you trying to draw private money into into infrastructure-type projects. And 
it generally works fairly well, but you sort of have to remember that as soon as you've engaged a, a private entity, whether it's an investment fund or <clears throat> bank or whatever, they expect a return. I mean, they're they're doing this as an investment, and public sector purely is less sensitive to that. I mean, it can carry a bad project for years uh, if it wants to or thinks that it's good for the public good. A private investor is like, no, I need to make more money. And that can often translate into higher costs. It becomes a bigger drain on the state budget. I mean, it's a, if you build a highway or a bridge <clears throat> and you're trying to pay for it with, with tolls and the like, well, you either raise tolls dramatically or the state has to supplement uh, whoever was investing. One other country I want to touch base with you on uh, before we wrap up here, Chris, and that is Mexico, where a lot of countries seem to be what they call nearshoring. Um, what does it look like for the future of uh, you know the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico, and and uh, what's happening between the two countries? Well, it's definitely been good news for both countries in some respects. I mean, it's certainly been good for Mexico. Manufacturing is now the number one income earner for the country it has replaced oil uh, as as that driver. Obviously, if oil prices go back up, that means switching in. The importance for the U.S. is that these, for the most part, are not companies that drifted from the U.S. into Mexico. They're drifting from other parts of the world into Mexico as an alternative to coming right into the U.S. or staying where they are. Um, you hear a lot of conversation about jobs are pouring into Mexico. Well, they may be, but they're pouring from China. And at the end of the day, Mexico does a lot more business with us than China does. So if you can't get a company to relocate into the U.S., next best thing is to get it to relocate close to the U.S. in a country that buys most of what it buys from the U.S. The worst alternative would be to someplace like China, which does not do much business with us, and we don't get much bang for the buck. I mean, ideally, it would be nice if some of these companies came back to the U.S., but not for the consumer. I mean, as long as the consumer is interested in low-priced goods, it's got to go someplace where the production costs are not high. And we may accept higher-priced goods in certain areas, the average American consumer is not interested in paying $10 for a pair of tube socks. You know, they're used to buying 150 pair for a dollar from right. Walmart. So. Well, I like the idea that we're going to be paying 23 cents a gallon more for gas in the state of New Jersey, effective almost immediately. Well, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's because you're in New Jersey. I mean, you know. That's true. That's true. I <laughs> I calculated out what that means to me personally with my 30,000 miles a year that I put on, mm -hmm. about $6,000 in additional taxes. Yeah. So that all, and that I all think just that goes Yeah, it's going to be that, something that's going to be repeated around the country because now that we've had low prices for a number of years, states that have been reluctant to raise their gas tax are now saying, well, people can handle this. Gas is cheap. And early yeah. on, it's going to be probably true. I mean, for at least the next year, six months, it's going to be taking people back to where they were a couple of years back. The fear is that at some point the gas prices go up anyway, 
because OPEC gets its act together or whatever happens, and then those gas taxes stay where they are now, and suddenly people really are paying four or five and six dollars a gallon. So that's always the danger: is that taxes go up, they rarely go back down. Very true, and uh, unlike the Credit Managers Index report, which has been up and down and up this uh, this current month for September, Chris, we appreciate you being on the show. I always enjoy speaking with you about not just the Credit Managers Index report, but also other things that are happening in other economies around the world. We appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. We've been speaking with Chris Keel, who is an economist with both the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International and also with the National Association of Credit Managers. He's also with Armada Corporate Intelligence, and uh, we always have, enjoy having him on the show. Okay, folks, next week we are going to have our prison slavery wrap-up show. We've done three other shows regarding this topic. Some of you may or may not uh, know what that's all about. So I'll just give you a quick critique that uh, manufacturing slavery in this country has uh, taken over a lot of jobs from private enterprise here in this country, and they pay virtually nothing for prisoners to perform manufacturing here in this country at the rate of somewhere between 16 cents an hour and a dollar and a quarter an hour. It's taken away uh, a lot of jobs, and uh, we complain about foreign country's taking jobs away from us. Meanwhile, we're doing it right here in our own country. We've had three shows. We're going to do a uh, wrap uh, of our interpretation as to what can be done, if anything, uh, if our Congress would like to do something about this for the aid of small business and uh, small manufacturing and medium-sized manufacturing in particular. So tune into that show. We're going to have a couple of special guests for that. And, um, Tim, I'd like to flip this back to you. Thanks, Lou. Uh, again, for all of our listeners, if you would like to hear the show, we are at mfgtalkradio.com. We can also be heard at blogtalkradio.com. And we have a quite a library of shows. I think it's now around 156 on iTunes so that you can find it there as well. I would like to point out to our listeners that we are now in the fourth longest expansion since World War II at 88 months. We just eclipsed, actually some months ago, we eclipsed the November 2001 to December 2007 expansion just before we went off a cliff. That was 73 months long. We're now 88 months along in our expansion. So, Things it's you know it's not the boom bust cycle of the past, but we're not headed off a cliff either. So uh, enjoy what uh, looks like to be a positive finish for 2016, and things appear to be looking at uh, some expansion in 17 and 18. In the meantime, stay tuned to Manufacturing Talk Radio for any of our future shows. But that takes care of Manufacturing Talk Radio for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Tim Grady with my co-host Lou Wise, and that's a wrap today. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.